part two of our Medusa mini-series. This is Monsters and Masterpieces. I am Raven, she, her. I'm B, she, her. And I'm really excited to dive into Medusa in the Common Era. But before we get started, a shout out to The Abnormalist, who does all of our amazing music. He just dropped a new album called We Are Being Hunted. You can find it on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your music. If you are a fan of the Predator movies, it definitely gives that vibe. I have all of his music uh, on repeat whenever I'm writing an episode because it just, it gets me into that monstrous, creepy, Halloween-y spirit. <laughs> spirit of Halloween, yeah, if you will. Of Halloween. No copyright. Don't <laughs> at me. All right. It's been a while. It's been a very long time. Um, there was a series of unfortunate events after we were sick for a couple weeks. Uh, some of our equipment was on lockdown. Just, oh, shenanigans. Shenanigans everywhere. But we're back. Better than ever. And hopefully more consistent. <laughs> yeah. Got big things coming. Hope everybody's excited. Thank you everyone who has listened. We have uh, broken 100 listens. Woo-hoo. We did a couple weeks ago. And uh, yeah, that's, that feels amazing. Like, I wasn't expecting anybody to listen to this, honestly. I thought it was going to be one of those things that you awkwardly bring up when you're talking to someone and they're like, oh yeah, I still haven't listened. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Which, if you're one of those people and you're barely listening, that's fine. I'm just doing this for funsies. Yeah, this is just for fun. Give give my brain a little mental workout. Gives me something to, to do and a reason to read about information that I will never use ever again outside of this right now. So in our last episode, we started before the Common Era and watched Medusa transform from grotesque to a drop-dead gorgeous Gorgon. This episode is going to include a lot of theories and mediums. There's going to be a lot of written interpretations involved in this one, less visuals, Um, but trigger warning... This episode mentions rape, suicide, victim blaming, and murder. So, it's going to be a tough one, again, because Medusa went through a lot of shit. And we left off in the 3rd century BCE with beautiful Medusa with minimal snakes and monstrosity, And now we're jumping to the first century CE, the rest of this is going to be CE, where we see that same trend. One of the most famous depictions of Medusa is the Medusa Rondonini, which should be figure six if you're following along with the images. Her monstrous features are minimal and there's beauty in her face despite still being dead. Pretty much all of these head busts of Medusa are her after the beheading, so keep that in mind. Um, This, like many artworks, is a Roman copy of a Greek original. 
The date of the original is debated, but it has definitely, it was definitely before the Common Era. The number that seems to be settled on the most is 500 BCE, but like I said, super controversial, could be off by several hundred years, we don't know. The Rondonini became the most popular depiction of Medusa in Roman culture. The purpose of Medusa's image stayed the same. She was meant to repel evil and bad fortune. The Romans used her image on their sarcophagi for that reason. Kind of provide that safe passage into the afterlife. Medusa was also a household name by this point. The image of Medusa and the other Gorgons were used in mosaics and frescoes in more luxurious homes and villas, which we can see in figure seven. The Romans emphasized Medusa's gaze by inlaying her eyes with silver, which would mesmerize, but also maybe blind viewers, depending on how much light is reflecting off of it. Oh. Yeah. Is that like, um, does that lead into like the whole like, to defeat Medusa is to use a mirror so she can look at herself and turn herself to stone? It's more like, uh, it's supposed to startle you and remind you that she's turning you into stone. Oh. So it's like physically affecting you. Weird. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how they did that. And as far as I know, that was not done by the Greeks. That was something added on only by the Romans. And it was used on like chariots, Mm. weaponry, uh, transportation, things that are mobile. So if you're thinking about it in a race and you're like racing somebody and all of a sudden the sun glints off of Medusa's eyes and hits your, your opponent, like that probably, it was probably supposed to be very intimidating and maybe literally blinding. Hmm. Sounds like cheating to me. Yeah, sounds like cheating. (laughs) Super sounds like cheating. And while Medusa was gaining popularity in Rome, Ovid was also writing poetry about Medusa and Perseus. It's unclear if Ovid's writings came before or after the standardized Medusa imagery in Rome, but they both occurred in the first century, so it could have been simultaneous. Uh, He could have been inspired by the Medusa sort of resurgence or... Maybe it just kind of happened at the same time. I don't know. Ovid's version of Medusa's story is the one most of us think about today. Medusa served at the Temple of Athena, and one day Poseidon raped Medusa in the temple. Athena was angry with Medusa for desecrating her sacred space and gave her monstrous features to make her less attractive. The hell? It's not her fault. Right? It is not her fault. Like, that is just, uh, it's, we'll we'll tie this into modern times at the end, but, like, I think we can all relate to that frustration of victim blaming, especially when it comes from another woman who is 
acting like she gets something out of upholding the patriarchal, like, society kiss-ass environment. I I don't know. It's real frustrating. And because of her curse of turning people into stone, she had to be completely exiled from society. And the poem mostly recounts uh, the events of Perseus's life and how he became the slayer of Medusa. But it also points out that Medusa was a victim as well as a powerful weapon. During the first century, several writers compared powerful women from different cultures, including comparing Gorgons to Sirens and the Amazons of Africa. So there are several creatures that are powerful women who kind of have this similar rhetoric around them of like, oh, they're so beautiful, but they're so evil. (laughs) And (laughs) just so back and forth. Uh, Maybe someday we'll do like a compare and contrast episode of a lot of these uh, figures. This is where I hope y'all are ready for a plot twist because my favorite theory and piece of writing that came out of the first century is by Pausanias. He believed that Medusa was a real person. Oh. Mm-hmm. Rather than like a myth or a legend? Yeah, or that some shady shit happened to this real woman and then they made the myth to like cover their asses. Oh. Mm-hmm. So Pausanias was a traveler. He uh, went to Egypt, Rome, Greece. Like he was all over the place and saw a lot of Medusa artwork and heard a lot about Medusa in his travels. And he believed that Medusa was a powerful queen in Libya, which is uh, northern Africa right across the Mediterranean Sea from Greece. So Perseus had, or at least Pausanias thinks, Perseus had invaded her territory to steal riches and resources from her people. She was a powerful leader when it came to battle, so Perseus waited for her to fall asleep, decapitated her, and in true creepy guy fashion, took her head to show other Greek men how beautiful she was. Yeah, which ties into some modern day creepiness, almost. Um, There's this thing that creepy dudes would do uh, called anthropodermic bibliopegy. And it's where you take human skin and make a book cover out of it. Oh, yeah. Which I'm going to cover at some point because this topic just fascinates me. It sounds really disgusting and wild, but I feel like there it's such a human rights issue um, because it was mostly doctors who were like, oh, I like my female patient. When she dies, I'm going to use her back as a book cover for my journal. That is fucking weird. So it feels like that to me. Just very invasive and just gross. Pausanias wasn't the only person to have this theory. Other writer, other writers believe that Medusa was a powerful, wealthy queen who was attacked by pirates, 
one of them being Perseus. Or maybe even Perseus was the personification of this group of pirates. So this started before the Common Era and just kind of continued for centuries, this theory. And it sounds like a stretch, but when we think about it in terms of the visual history of monstrosity, it really makes sense. Monsters are always made at the detriment of one to benefit another. And Libya being in Africa would mean that Medusa looked different from the Greeks, dressed different, spoke differently, and embodied a different culture. So it makes sense that Perseus, or at least someone from Greece, would have encountered a real powerful Medusa, killed her, and then was made to look like a hero for killing someone who was different from them. So it's kind of fits our, what we know about monstrosity as a also cultural phenomenon. Yeah. Otherness. You're different from me. Yeah, you're different from me. So that me makes you bad and I'm good. Yeah. Travelers, writers, and historians collected information over the course of centuries to add to this theory, and they found many ways in which Medusa, Medusa was likely othered. So, yeah, I don't know. I I feel like it holds water. And I wouldn't doubt that it's it's real to some degree. But it would have to be because we don't even know the origins of Medusa's story because it is so old. This would have been before any sort of written record. So we'll never know. And in the 14th century, of course, there were also lots of writers who used Medusa's story as an example of how, quote, manliness and wisdom can defeat evil. Because, <laughs> you know, violence against women is just so manly. manly. And not at all a sign of cowardice and insecurity. (laughs) Only true men kill women. (laughs) Don't. She was criticized for eating sailors for survival, but this guy shows up and just kills her for his own gain. For funsies. That's so manly. (laughs) Yeah. And this is the 14th century, and I would like to say that uh, the views of this uh, get better, but they don't. (laughs) But also in the 14th century, Medusa was used as a symbol of love and beauty. Petrarch compared the woman he loved to Medusa because her beauty was mesmerizing. In the 15th century, Medusa became a symbol of feminism. So that is, like, super early on. I always thought about it as something that happened maybe mid to late 1900s. But 15th century, uh, Christine de Pizan fought for women's rights by writing about Medusa and other powerful women. And basically telling men, like, oh, you're just afraid of powerful women. I mean, she's not wrong. She's not wrong. Absolutely not. At the same time, other writers who were male argued that the tale of Medusa was a lesson in morality, basically saying that uh, that's what happens when women have a lack of self-control. Yeah, but she didn't do shit. No, (laughs) she didn't. But of course, 
Perseus, seen as having great self-control because he successfully decapitated a sleeping woman. (sighs) So if we look at figures 9 and 10, during the Renaissance, we see a return of Medusa as a victim in imagery, and this is where we see the full head of snakes. So before we only had two snakes that came around, uh, came down around her chin like jewelry, but now we are full on signature snake hair. And not only is she a victim of an ambush and murder, but we see her suffering. Some think that it was Leonardo da Vinci who made the snakes popular once again. We especially see Medusa being a motive in graphic graphic depictions during times of upheaval, including Caravaggio's head of Medusa and Peter Paul Rubens' head of Medusa. And we talked about it in our Caravaggio episode, how everything was just... Blood and guts. Blood and guts. Like, (laughs) church was going after people, trying to go back to classical forms of thought, and these artists were just not having it. And so they depicted Medusa in a really bloody, gruesome way because that was a reflection of society. In the 19th century, Karl Marx used the story of Medusa and Perseus as a metaphor for capitalism by saying that Medusa is the evils of capitalism and everyone who is privileged enough can put on a magic cap like Perseus to be immune to the negative side effects of capitalism. It's a bit of a stretch. Okay, sure. (laughs) I mean, privilege, yes. Being ignorant to bad things coming from capitalism, yes. Medusa being the problem here, I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) And in the 20th century, early to mid-20th century, everyone became obsessed with Medusa, and people had a lot to say. Unfortunately, one of those people was Sigmund Freud. (laughs) He argued that the head of Medusa represents the horror of seeing an adult woman's vagina. Especially (laughs) Especially if you're a boy and you see your mom's horrific vagina. Dun dun dun. Oh my god. Hot take, I don't love Freud. (laughs) What the hell? Medusa being decapitated represents male fears of being castrated by said horrific vagina. But Medusa can... <laughs> what? Is he afraid it's going to be like a teeth situation where you stick oh my your God. dick in and it bites it off? I wish he was alive to see teeth. Ugh. He would shit bricks. He just... <laughs> He'd be like, I told you so. Vagina bad. God, did he never get laid or what? I don't know. I hope not. Did he have children? I don't remember. Let's find out. Okay. (laughs) I'll look it up while you keep talking. Okay. But luckily, Medusa can turn people into stone. So if you get a boner after seeing your mom's vagina, it means you haven't been castrated. What? So rest assured, you have not been castrated because your mother's vagina turns you on. Okay, he had children, so this guy fucked. So what is he talking about? (laughs) He had, wait, one, two, three, four, he had six kids. Jeez. 
I so he fucked a lot. <laughs> so what is I he talking about? Uh, he's talking about his latent feelings for his mother. <laughs> oh, he. Uh, Sigmund Freud is a psychiatrist needed a psychiatrist. <laughs> Eric Newman, who came along roughly 30 years after Freud, followed Carl Jung and compared Medusa to the worst quality a woman can have, which is to be a bad mother. I mean, Medusa couldn't be a mother because she was decapitated. And then her children were born from her decapitated head. Kind of hard to be a mom when you're just a head. <laughs> Were her children snakes? Is that like the... No, she uh, gave birth to Pegasus from her neck. So winged horse, beautiful Pegasus. That doesn't make any sense. And then I forget what the other the other creature was, but also a very famous uh, Greek mythology, mythology creature. And other than being a bad mother, the worst quality a woman can have is a castrating womb. Whatever the fuck that means. I don't know what kind of problem psychiatrists had back then, but they reached really far with their projection, and it sounds like normalizing the human body would have put them out of business. So this is like 1920s all the way to the 1950s. These male psychiatrists are just like, oh... Like, castration, don't castrate me. Okay. Ick, vagina. Okay, this sounds like a bunch of bullshit, because fucking Freud apparently was in love with his wife's sister, too, and his wife's sister lived with them for a while. And there's been hearsay that they were, that she was his mistress. Freud was just a fuckboy and trying to cover his ass. Oh my god. By being ridiculous. He fucked a lot. He was not afraid of vaginas. I think it's a bunch of bullshit. (laughs) I think he had feelings for his mom and he's just trying to make himself not feel alone about it. I mean... Projecting real hard. In the 1970s, Medusa was once again seen as a muse and feminist icon because so many women identified with her anger and her oppression. Medusa also becomes a symbol of black pride in... Colleen J. McElroy's poem, A Navy Blue Afro, where McElroy compares Medusa to the natural, especially natural hair, which is often discriminated against for uh, black women, especially. In the 1980s, we got more analysis of male interpretations of Medusa's story. Uh, women psychologists responded to Freud by basically telling him that it sounds like he's terrified of women and maybe he should look inward. (laughs) (laughs) Too bad he was dead already. Yeah, I know. I know. There's so much he's missed out on. Hey, Freud, look in a mirror. (laughs) (laughs) Like Medusa. Patricia Joplin points out that Medusa has been used against women when her story wasn't meant to do that. For example, telling women their bodies are horrific, look at it you, Freud, they're just hysterical, victim-blaming, basically stay in your lane and do what I want or else you'll end up like Medusa and it'll be all your fault. So this feminist icon has been 
twisted into this tale of morality and like, oh, be careful, women. Better listen to men or else you're going to get decapitated and give birth to a horse with wings through your neck. I mean, that part's kind of cool. Yeah, that part is kind of (laughs) cool. Not the decapitation part, but, you know. I can't remember which story this came from, though. Uh, Medusa knew she was pregnant after being raped by Poseidon, and she tried to kill herself (gasps) because she didn't want to have the babies, and the snakes wouldn't let her do it. Yeah. It was very sad. I wish I knew which version of the story that specifically came from. Um, I think I heard it on a podcast episode of Mythological Creatures, Mythological Monsters uh, by Parcast. They kind of do these really awesome episodes where they mash up all of the known stories of creatures to create this really big one cool story Hmm. that's probably my favorite medusa episode of anything that i've ever listened to so highly recommend that one in the 90s versace used medusa as a symbol of seduction and power after versace was murdered frank moore used medusa to comment on the perils of art fashion and our vanity, which we can see in figure 11. This is a really weird image. It is. We have Medusa, who is modeled after Kate Moss. That's supposed to be Kate Moss. Yeah, I, I thought it was Uma Thurman. It gave me Uma Thurman yeah, vibes. Yeah, she looks more Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman would make such a great Medusa. Um, There's a dead mouse. There's a broken bottle of Versace perfume. The frame is made of a mirror, so as a viewer, you have to, like, look at yourself in your own vanity. This was actually commissioned by Versace before he was murdered, so this would have been hanging up in Versace's house. Weird. Mm-hmm. But also very, very neat modern interpretation. I feel like it can be applied to society in general and not just art and fashion industry. That broken perfume bottle looks like butter. Looks like melted butter. (laughs) (laughs) Can't believe it's not butter. (laughs) Basically. Medusa's story has been added onto and reinterpreted countless times and it made me wonder what a modern day Medusa might look like. It's easy to imagine, honestly. Let's say Medusa is an intern for a large company. She has worked her ass off to get here, and this career has become her purpose in life. One day, an executive from from one of the international branches is visiting for a meeting when he notices Medusa. He finds a way to get Medusa alone and makes a pass at her. She's not interested, but this guy isn't used to taking no for an answer because his family's generational wealth has gotten him everything he's ever wanted. Medusa reports the violence to her boss, who is a woman, 
and her boss becomes angry with her, telling her it was probably the long pencil skirt she was wearing, and it was unprofessional for her to be alone in a room with a male executive. Medusa knows she can't face anyone there ever again, so she's forced out of the company and basically out of her career, and feels like this man has too much privilege to ever suffer any consequences. When I originally thought about this and started writing out this modern version of her story, I wasn't going to go here, but to stay true to the original and also after recent events, here it is. Medusa discovers that she's pregnant, but she's in a state where it's too late to get an abortion. She can't stand the thought of sharing custody of a child with a monster for the rest of her life, and also risking violence happening towards that child. She is faced with choices and obstacles, all of them pretty bad. She can attempt to flee to another state and risk being caught and charged with a felony, stripping away any rights she has left, or she can attempt an abortion herself, likely ending her life in the process. I feel like this is why we relate to Medusa. We're still living her story. And I can tell you this for sure. The Perseus in our story right now is doing nothing new or surprising. So we'll keep fighting. All of us nasty women everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially with what's going on right now. This is more topical than ever. Yeah. I was going to hold off on my Medusa story because it, it's, a, it's a lot of research. A lot to cover. But after what happened, this, this was it. This was the time for Medusa's story. Thank you to Geeky Bee's Nails, who has released a ton of new nail polishes. Go check out their Etsy shop. Thank you to The Abnormalist. Go check out his album, We Are Being Hunted. And thank you to Eric Diaz, who is not doing the mixing and mastering for this episode, <laughs> because uh, it's coming out tomorrow. I did not give him enough time to, to do any of this. So I'm going to be doing it. I'm sorry <laughs> in advance. Don't know how it's going to be. I'm a designer, not an audio person. So yeah hopefully it's it's at least tolerable but uh thank you for listening thanks for listening bye-bye see you at the next one